Hi everyone, welcome back to Front Page Football in the capital. I am Jeremy Magan, your host, and I'm thrilled that a few weeks after the tournament that stopped the nation, our World Cup at home, I have a former Matilda as a very special guest today, Ash Sykes, Canberra United legend. You know, she won a couple of championships, a couple of premierships with the club from the capital, but also Julie Dolan medal winner in 2015-2016. And of course, a player who, after winning the uh, FFF Women's Championship in 2008, made it to the World Cup in 2015 in Canada with the Matildas. So a lot of great insight coming from uh, somebody who was also a pundit for the World Cup 2019 and the World Cup 2023. Of course, a couple of weeks back, we talk about everything World Cup, but also her her professional career and some uh, great insight into uh, how hard it was back then to be a Matilda and how things have improved, but still need to improve a bit more. Ash Sykes on FPF in the capital right after that. What a goal! Max Green with a stunner! Daniel Barac, he must score! He's gonna score! Canberra Croatia leads! Real chance at the far post of McCarthy! And they've got one back! It's unbelievable! What a finish! It's in! It's 1-1! Andre Carr from the bench! Mayhem in the Panthers' ranks! Ash, thank you so much for joining us on FPF in the Capital. How are you doing, you know, two two weeks after uh, those extraordinary weeks of of football? uh, How are you feeling? Have, Have you recovered yet? I'm coming down from it still, I think, Jeremy. It's great to be chatting with you. But, you know, such a big sort of month of football, wasn't it, in Australia and for the world. And it was it was a whirlwind sort of month. And, you know, just getting my feet back on the ground now and, and coming back to real life. It, it's been a superb competition. We were just sort of like touching on that offline. There, there was that feeling that Australia could have done more to ramp up to the World Cup and that, you know, there was maybe a couple of wagon meets yet when it started. The passion was amazing. Of course, you know, New Zealand starting the competition the way they did uh, and Australia as well. And everything, yeah. the upsets, the favourites that were out early, the Matilda's run, uh, the whole nation following the Matilda's. This was, this was everything. This was probably one of the best World Cup I've ever seen. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Like, you're right. I think leading into it, I was trying to tell everyone, you know, this is going to be massive. This, like, I don't think you understand how big this tournament is going to be. The world's going to be watching. And, you know, it was kind of a slow lead into it. But I think I got there on the the day, opening day into Sydney to do the New Zealand first game and then go and watch the Matildas game. As soon as I got there in the city, George Street had the banners of the FIFA Women's World Cup. There's stuff at the airport. And I just thought, all right, well, like we're here. It's finally come. This is so exciting. And, you know, it really only went up from there. Like you said, there were so many highlights um, to go through from the whole tournament. And, you know, it's hard to pick one. But that sort of moment when you first arrive into Sydney or another city when that was hosting games, it was it was really incredible feeling. I was lucky enough to uh, to be in France when we hosted the, the men's World Cup in '98. Uh, I missed, yeah. of course, the uh, the women's World Cup in '19 uh, and uh, and and the men's Euro because I was in Australia when that happened. Yeah. Uh, but by all accounts, um, <laughs> even even 
this in a country that supposedly lives and breathes football was just nowhere near um, what happened here in Australia. So that, that was that was just amazing to uh, to, to leave that as well. Uh, you know, we said all those things that have happened, a new nation lifting the trophy, even though the, the aftermath was a little bit tainted. Uh, in Spain, if you have to pick two, three things that you'll definitely, you know, remember for for, for that World Cup, you know, sort of the uh, the grandkids story. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough to go past probably that quarterfinal with Australia, but we can probably dive into Australia's tournament a little bit later and I'll take my, you know, Matilda's cap off for a second. Um, I think one of my favourites was actually that, like, New Zealand opening game, like the storyline behind it in that I hadn't won a game before. They'd been at the tournament so many times. It's a home World Cup. We had Gitka Klimkova coaching, who's a former Cambria United coach of mine, and they, you know, got the win on opening night and the emotions in that that stadium. And I think, you know, it, it kind of almost like was a more emotional thing for me watching that unfold compared to Australia playing Ireland later on in the night. Like mm-hmm. that, that New Zealand game was just incredible. And then you look to, you know, Colombia and their fans, like they were fantastic. I don't know if you got to go any games jeremy or games with columbia involved <laughs> i was in the quarterfinal uh england against columbia after uh, yeah after crying some tears and and after the french <laughs> result i was right in the middle of the columbians <laughs> just brush brush off the disappointment and go join the columbians but you know they were, they were, every game was packed that i didn't had no idea there were so many columbians in australia and you know even some friends of mine who was colombian didn't you know, was getting 20 friends together to go to their group stage games in Sydney. You know, that was incredible. And then if you look on the field, I think we saw a big sort of maturity and quality of play increase across the board from like every single team. So some really strong tactical games and game plans that suited squads um, designed to try and get results in tournament football. And that was a really, you know, promising thing to see from that maturity level as well. Yeah, I love that you're saying that. First, the New Zealand game, I completely agreed. Uh, I could watch that game on TV. And when I sat in front of that game, I was like, all right, that's the World Cup. Started right yeah. there, the, the performance and the first wheel. And my, my son was was right there. And I was like, this is what the World Cup is, uh, you know, so start getting yeah. it in because this is going to be a month of that. Uh, but, yeah. but the football played... Um, you know, I, I think it's a way that we see women's football growing, right? Like the, the those so-called smaller nations, uh, you know, Jamaica not conceding a goal uh, in group stage when you got France and Brazil uh, mm-hmm. and Colombia, you, you mentioned it, Nigeria, um, you know, those, those so-called lesser powerful nations just yeah. coming in, that, that game plan. Uh, is that, you know, the, the beginning of greater and bigger things uh, for women's football? I think it's an involvement in the game for sure. Like I think we've seen teams employ, try and employ that tactic in the past and knowing as a Matilda playing in Asian cups and that sort of thing before some of those teams like Vietnam have tried to employ those tactics against the Matildas in those competitions before, but not as consistently as what they did and not to the same level as what some of them did in this tournament. Like, those teams did it for all three group stage games. There wasn't a single moment and into the quarterfinals was um, round of 16, sorry, as well. 
that made it really difficult for other teams to break down and they didn't quite have the solution for it yet. Like um, I was surprised that Jamaica, South Africa, Portugal were able to take these teams like through the game, like Portugal almost beat the US like <laughs> mm-hmm. from employing these tactics. So I think the question is like, what's next for the stage of the game? Like some of the stronger, stronger nations like the US can't just overpower the team other teams you know physically anymore or through mentality they have to come up with a a solution to breaking down those defensive styles of play and once that happens you know I I think it'll take it maybe a few years to find the solution you know I think the Olympics next year will be really interesting tournament to watch and see who's successful there Um, but yeah I think we'll start seeing teams find solutions to that and then we'll see what the next evolution is. Yeah it's an evolution that calls for more evolution right because of course right now the the game has sort of become european centric with with the league in england taking so much space and and uh, you know outshining uh, even the wsl in the us and i think we're seeing probably the players who are playing in that league when they come back to their nation uh really bringing what they've learned and it's probably well it's amazing to watch but it's probably what what brings that much difference uh, yeah. let's talk it, about because course, it's a world because yeah. it's a world game sorry jeremy all these players uh-huh. are going overseas and learning how to play instead of you know the south african team is an example if they're all staying and playing in south africa that's great but if they're going overseas and playing and learning different styles of football and at a higher level they can bring that back to the national team and that gives that coach the tools to sort of employ these tactics against you know some of the stronger nations so it's just yeah it's great to see it really become a world game like England, Spain, France, the US, all the Scandinavian countries, Germany, there's leagues everywhere that people can take advantage of. And it's kind of the World Cup where you think coaches in those countries would think there's a very good defender that I've seen in that Jamaican team or South African team that I can actually bring uh, and make a real difference. Yes, for sure. I agree with that. There'll be a few players getting plenty of opportunities after their performances at the World Cup. Yeah. Talking about it, I just uh, I just remember all I felt during the, the World Cup. That's that's great. It hasn't it hasn't left yet. Uh, let's let's talk about Australia. Let's talk about the Matildas. I mean, of course, you know, uh, I, although you were a, a very objective pundit, um, you you were here uh, for the Matildas, and I think I was expecting some support. Um, you know. I said it, you know, in France, uh, 98, when France wins, I'm, I'm there. And then uh, the other tournaments, we know in France what it is when a country rallies behind the team. I, I was just impressed. I was relieved to see uh, that everybody was so much behind uh, the, the Matildas, whether it was in bad and in good. I think it was, you know, it was stupid what happened around um, care at the beginning of the competition as if she was the only one who could actually get that team to win. But then seeing them winning yeah. over Canada without her and the game against France, which uh, I was outside the stadium walking towards <laughs> England, Colombia, and all I could hear was, oh, ah, until somebody <laughs> tapped me on the shoulder and was like, you lost, mate. Which was just very funny. Um, Unlucky. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting experience with my with my French jersey on. But look, if we're going to lose about against anybody, might as well be uh, might as well be Australia. That's you it. are obviously uh, a former Matilda yourself, uh, Ash. You've played in in a World Cup. Um, with some of the girls that were there how did that how did that feel for you oh it was fantastic like you know playing with some of those girls you you can have a real you know 
you want them to do well. Like you're still a little bit connected to the team on a personal level. Um, you know, some of those girls, you know, Sam, Caitlin, they, they kept me on the bench for long periods of time, getting to watch them right on the sidelines. So it's great to see not just those players, but a lot of the players sort of evolution as well in, in terms of their, their abilities on the field and their abilities to handle like massive increase in attention and pressure and all that sort of thing. Like we, you know, playing in, in the Canada World Cup, we played the biggest crowd we played it in front of was against the US team. And there were, I think maybe just under 35,000 people. It felt like a US home game. Um, but it was, you know, at that time, that was an incredible sort of um, environment to play in front of. So I can't imagine what it would have been like. I tell you what, there were moments where I was pretty happy to be on the sideline watching instead of, you know, having to step up as the 10th penalty taker like Courtney Vine did and try and slot one home. That would have been awful but yeah no the Matildas did fantastic and to be honest I think their run through the tournament to the semi-finals was a little bit unexpected you know their form over the last four years was a little bit shaky and they pulled it together in the last six months and they're another team that has employed this more defensive strategy successfully which was great to see I think it played to our strengths and led us to get you know further into the tournament than you know some of us might have expected. I'm not sure how you thought that they would go. I, I think, yeah, I, I was expecting them to get to quarterfinal easily. And then, uh, you know, that with, with a quick play on the table, I thought France was going to be in their way. And, and to be honest, I thought France was going to win, like I said it before, mm. and, and I stand by it. And because I knew how well they could play under Renard and, you know, kudos for the Matilda for resisting to to the French Armada because offensively they were pretty good. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was... Yeah, I think it was impressive how they how they did it because it was all about, uh, you know, although I kind of don't like when people say that, but all about like the OCDNA and the resilience and that, because this is football is about that anyway. Um, so mm. the fact that they were able to to put it in place and to, uh, yeah, cause, cause those upset, like you could technically call Canada an upset if you want to, but I think it was just about rallying at, at the right time. I'm curious about, you know, when you when you go to Canada and when you played the World Cup, how how did that feel at the time for for Australia as a group? Because obviously it can't be the same feeling as hosting it here. Um, but but was there that that ground feeling that we're playing on the best competition in the world and all eyes are on us, or was it still at the time a little bit of underdog? You know, it's only a few people are going to watch us. Canada mentality. Yeah, I think still a little bit of that sort of underdog mentality. There's not the as much attention from, I think being at home, you make a great point. There was so much media attention. It's all played in a great time zone, you know, playing in Europe for the France World Cup in 2019 or in 2015 in Canada, you're sort of battling against that a little bit. But I think even if I think back to, say, 2008, when I got my first cap for the Matildas and the W League started then compared to 2015, like the incremental growth of attention was impression, was impressive even then. And you think about it's gone even further than that between 2015 and now, like it's, it's crazy to think that's about eight years ago. Like it feels like there's been so much development in terms of professionalism, attention, you know, um, support, let least of all to mention pay for most of these players like it's it's an incredible thing and I, I think the thing that surprised me most was 
the like casual observers that were watching the games, like walking down the street or walking into a cafe and there's a group of cyclists sitting there having coffee and they're talking about the Matildas like it's any other sport. Like that sort of thing really hit me and I was like, we've, there's a feeling of almost like we've made it we're here this is it you know like it's not they're talking about football and it's women's football and you know those are sort of pinch myself moments I think it it was incredible to see I I wish anybody who who loves football had been with me that day I work in the restaurant uh, and uh, the day after they play against friends of course I get teased a little bit but then there's a table of corporate guests having uh, lunch and they were arguing over the fact that if you get two yellow cards in two different games. It's the same thing as if you get two yellow cards <laughs> in the same game, you know, the real person who just yep. covers football for the first time and is trying to understand the rules. But I thought it was amazing because there was people around the table educating the one that didn't know. And, and that's just spread the message and the fact that the match that did this, I think, is speaks volume yeah. about about what happened. The hosting yeah. rights, I, I want I want to, you know, I, I'm sorry to go back and forth in the timeline, but I want to, okay. to think, you know, how you felt in, in June 2020 when we hear that, you know, Australia and New Zealand are going to uh, host the World Cup, you know, our, we all remember the video of the uh, uh, socially distanced uh, joy uh, in, <laughs> in the headquarters and how everybody was obviously uh, so happy. Did you always know at the time um, that you would get involved in that home World Cup uh, one way or another? <laughs> one way or another is a good way to put it like I think from that moment I was trying to tell everyone like this is going to be massive like get your tickets get involved friends are starting like even if it was just going to be as a fan I was going to be there like um, you know friends and I were planning trips around Australia following teams around and all that sort of thing so uh, you know these are sort of once in a lifetime opportunities for Australians you know like France hosts tournaments maybe a little bit more often than us but also you know 98 well 2019 for the women's but 98 for for you guys is sort of the last big one but you know you're not going to see this again and I think even in the lead up to it like I bought stadium passes for Sydney because I was just determined to make sure that I didn't miss out on anything but you know sort of 18 months out from then I, I knew that I would be working with Optus um after doing the 2019 World Cup with them, um, I was keen to do it again. It's such a great way to get involved in the tournament and and watch it. And um, it's challenging, but it, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, you know how it is. You get to sit around and talk about football, which you'd probably be doing on the la- in the lounge room anyway. It's just nice to do it on TV and, and with some friends. So, um, yeah, I was super stoked to get involved with with Optus Sport and you know we had a little bit of a lead up where we got to shake the cobwebs off a little bit doing some WSL games and then getting to do it in your own time zones delightful you know watching the 2019 World Cup and we're at you know 2 a.m in the morning or call times (laughs) of 2 a.m it's just it's a tough one and you at the time sort of wondering you know how many viewers have we got here but that, that certainly wasn't a concern this time around. How hard what is, was it to actually get on, on those games and commenting, you know, all the all the pre-work that you do? I mean, obviously, it helps that you're, uh, you know, such a great football player yourself uh, and, and that you you feel the game and so you know, so it's easier to talk about it. But, uh, but you know, the, the pressure of, I guess, uh, performing, you know, at, at mm. home as well. Um, how, how was that for you? 
Well, look, there were a few nerves for the first one, to be honest, because it kind of you, you hear the intro sort of play, and, and you're like, oh man, this is actually happening, you know, the oh, oh, those sort of <laughs> jingles that are stuck in your head for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the year. But um, yeah, I find it. I don't know. I find if I prepare really well, you can go out there and feel confident about what you're saying. Like if you've watched enough of the teams, done enough of the background research on some individuals that you'd like to talk about or topics or whatever, you can go out there feeling fairly confident, not unlike preparing for a football game. You know, if you put in the work, you're probably not going to get too nervous going out there and doing it. But um, yeah, it was, it was an awesome opportunity and I'm yeah, no, grateful to be able to say that I was involved in, you know, um, the commentary team for a home World Cup. Let's talk about the consequences of that of that great uh, World Cup. How good of the picture did that paint, basically, for you know younger players in our country? Mm, it's it's incredible. Like I know you've got some children, but you know nieces and nephews of mine and and friends of people you know, dressing up as Matildas for book week in the weeks following the tournament. Like, it's just, you know, <laughs> these are friends that, you know, kids are friends that, you know, never watched a football game. I've known them for years. They know who that I used to play, but, you know, weren't really interested before. Or now their kids are making them stay up and watch Matildas games with them. And, and they're, they're getting involved too. I'm getting messages during the games and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, one of the, it was it's kind of weird I'm a bit of a sports nut right like so I listen to other sports podcasts and not just football other sports but I heard a, a guy talking from another sports podcast talking about he didn't realize the effect of you know that mantra of um, you can't be what you can't see has an effect like he always he's got two daughters and he always thought oh sport is sport you know like they'll get interested if they want to watch sport because sports on all the time you know he didn't realise that sitting down and watching the Matildas games with his daughters that the next morning she'd be saying, right, Daddy, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to play football in the backyard. I'm the Matildas, you're France, let's go sort of thing. And, like, I think for him saying, you know, that moment he realised that it does have an effect on on kids to see the level of attention, um, the normality of it, the, you know, um, fans, everything would make not just girls, but boys want to get involved in football and sport. And I think that sort of speaks to the effect that it had, not just on this individual, but on lots of other people as well. And, and I guess part of the legacy plan that Football Australia has put together is, can we take advantage of that? Do, do you think we're going to do a good job of, of taking advantage of that? You know, what what, what can we do to uh, to make sure, you know, of course, we can see that the stadiums are going to be uh, fuller this season in uh, in Liberty A League. Um, yeah. do, do you think we have what it takes to uh, to make the most of it? Maybe <laughs> we're all football <laughs> tragics here, aren't we? Like you know, we've mm -hmm. seen plenty of people try really hard and not quite work out with a lot of different plans. So I hope you know this time around it's different. You know, like the the level of attention was probably more than it ever has been before. So it's probably going to be, I'm hoping it's going to be different. We're already seeing membership records broken for some of the Liberty A-League teams out there. And I hope that's reflected in the crowd attendance figures. And I hope it's reflected in participation and, 
you know, why people get involved in football to start with, but also like convince them to stay in football as well and continue playing, you know, girls can continue playing, you know, throughout their teenage years and there's so many different benefits for them. It's not something that you just do as you're, when you're a kid. So, you know, hopefully the plans are put in place to ensure we do take advantage of this attention and, you know, the Matildas are going to continue to play an important role in that, you know, international matches that are on television that are at home that people can watch and, and continue um, supporting the team. Yeah, hopefully that means uh, like that game about to happen at Perth that there'll be more home games for mm. the match it does as well because that uh, that definitely will motivate the the crowds. Um, I want to yeah. I want to talk about you Ash and and how that love for football came. You didn't have a, a match it does World Cup at home uh, for for it to come into your life and yet you made it to the uh, uh, to the heights that that <laughs> we know. Uh, how how did I how did that start for you? Where did that come from? Well, I think a long time into my career, a lot of people always said I was a sprinter with football boots on. So that's probably a good place to start. That's where the game was at when I got when I got started. But I just love sport, like playing it with friends at school, playing with my siblings at home, twin sister, Nicole. We love sports, super competitive at everything, you know, um, and just playing in the schoolyard, getting into fights with other kids over football at lunch or cricket or rugby or whatever and you know to be honest where I grew up in the country rugby league's the big probably one of the biggest sports so if you know rugby league was bigger for girls back in the day you know I might have ended up there instead of football but <laughs> football was football was always a welcoming sort of fun environment out in that all through you know, my childhood into teenage years until I left when I was uh, finished school. So it's pretty hard not to fall in love with um, when you got that sort of environment. And 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 the development of it, uh, you know, of course, brought you to the to the career that that you have. Um, does that passion? ever dies uh, you know I don't want to get too metaphysical or, or, or philosophical but I think it's an important topic that um, maybe isn't isn't discussed uh, often and I think when we do what we do talking about football casually uh, it's easy yeah. but as soon as it becomes your job when football becomes your job not that you know not that in, in, in your time no, it's not that long ago but it wasn't as professional as it can be uh, right now um, mm. how, how hard it is for football players to keep going year after year when they love that game, but they don't have a choice. They actually have to wake up and go to training and, and to maintain in form. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And and you're right that there has been a, a really interesting development. Like I think football when I started, you know, was basically a passion project for most players or a hobby or something that's really driven by love because there wasn't that much money or any money involved in it for a lot of people like it, it's probably been quite professional and lots of different options for men for a long time but you know even now for the Matildas there's only 20 contracted players and that's in all of Australia so everyone else outside of that has to you know there's league options outside of that now that will help you get you know 12 months of employment that makes it better but you know, up until I left, which was about 2017, that was still the case. So the even for the A-Leagues, you know, it's gone from the passion project into 
uh, more of a job, which I think has pros and cons. You know, it's more professional. You can approach it with a different mentality. But I do know that there's, you know, I, it's something that I struggled with during my career. You know, it goes from being that fun sort of thing to my hot, being able to pay rent next week relies on me getting picked in this squad um, or getting picked in this team. So that's a that's a hard adjustment to make um, when you've really just relied on it as um, fun previously. And I think that transition will continue to happen. And I think I think ultimately it's good for the game um, because, you know, people can devote more time to it and the quality will continue to increase as well. It, it's a hard one. What what you're saying is is kind of like what I wanted to to go, to go to as well. Um, you know, if you talk about the money that some players are making in Europe uh, or mm. in Saudi Arabia, the hot topic, um, yeah. you play three pay three game and you're okay for seven years. Um, if yeah. if you decide to stop your job to become a f- professional football player, um, Liberty A League or, or anywhere else, it mm. it might be okay for a couple of years, but you probably don't have yet the feeling that you're going to be safe for a long long time um so h- how do you think we we go about you know helping the players sustaining that love and sustaining that um you know ambition and and not that will to give up at 25 once you finish your studies and football was just while you were studying yeah no it's exactly right like to digress a little bit going back in time before the 2015 World Cup, we were basically in camp the whole time. So, you know, you'd be in camp, you know, Monday to Friday, go home on the weekends. And that was for like six months leading into the World Cup, and, uh, along with a few international tours. So if you weren't a contracted player, you'd get paid a daily rate for the days that you're in camp. And essentially, you know, I was a fringe player. So I went through that whole six months, you know, waiting on a Friday to find out if I'd made it in the next Monday to go back to camp and you can't hold down a job at the same time because you're training a whole week so you know you're just waiting to see or have I done well enough this week to make it into next week so that you know now I know do I have to find another job on Monday or am I going back to play football you know those are the choices that you kind of had to make and it, it wasn't enough money to plan your life out from there and ultimately you make the decision to walk away from the game because you know yes maybe I can make enough to live off but it's not setting me up for life it's not going to allow me to buy a house. It's not going to allow me to, you know, do much more than live day to day. So they're the choices that I think meant that a lot of players from my generation left the Liberty A-Leagues earlier than what they probably could have if it was more professional. And that means that you lose talent to the, um, a talent pool to the um, competition that, you know, imagine if there were a bunch of 30-year-olds that could still have been involved in the game at the moment and help the league through getting a young influx of players. But, you know, we, we weren't in a position to be able to do that. Um, so now I think they are, you know, full home and away, which we've been crying out for for how many years is finally happening. <laughs> we've got eight months of football, seven months of football now for, for the girls. And that, I think, takes a big step towards meaning that you don't have to make those sorts of choices. People can stay in the game for longer and all these players that are developing in the A-leagues will form the foundation of the next generation of Matildas, whether they go overseas early or whether they stay in the league for a little while. I think making it easier for them to stay in the game for longer it will only serve, um, serve us all well. Yeah, Canberra United this season 
does well with experience. Heyman and Rojas being there uh, will be amazing. And, you know, of course, when you were involved uh, a, a couple of seasons ago, it was also, I'm sure, great for the, the young players coming up. It seems to be so many youngsters coming up the ranks of the A-League. But yeah, it's about, um, you know, them being surrounded by those players who already know what's going to happen so they can tell them as well, you know, hmm. the sacrifices, but also the good that comes out of it. Yeah, and you have to find that balance for these girls. I always found it helpful to when I was playing to have a job because there was a distraction outside of football. Now they're more professional. It means they can devote more time to it. But I think they just need to keep getting those resources that teach them to have a balance in their life, you know, in terms of enjoying football but also realising like it's a, like a regular work-life balance that we all have to find, you know, whether you work in administration, whether you work in restaurant business, whether you work in football, it's all the same, finding a balance. And, you know, that the, I think the girls are getting better and better at that. The balance to help you uh, um, keep that love of the game. You were involved a little bit in our uh, in our local competition. I think actually when I started commentating on uh, NPL here in Canberra, uh, I was lucky enough to call on some of your games and some of your goals. Uh, and then you you stopped being able to local competition. And what happened? Your twin sister ends up uh, winning trophies even more. <laughs> yep. how, how does that feel? We're talking about, of course, uh, Nicole Beck for our listener, who's just uh, won the, uh, the premiership uh, after winning both the Federation Cup and the um, champion, the grand final, sorry. I'm struggling with the name of the competition that you're in here in <laughs> Australia. It could be just one, right? Um, yes. we, with you involved last year and then this year, uh, you, you don't play. They keep going well. How, how does that feel for you, you know, to see her winning so much with Canberra Olympic? I mean, we, we're talking mm. about a, a very seasoned football player, but a young coach. Yeah, uh, it makes me feel fairly redundant, to be honest, Jeremy. No. <laughs> She's... Um... <laughs> She's been doing great. And look, she was a captain of Cambria United at quite a young age. And I think we probably saw the glimpses of her leadership capabilities there. Um, her understanding of the game is 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 good. Um, her understanding of people is probably even better. And like, you know, we've we spoken a little bit about how to be unbiased earlier on, but, you know, I'm probably going to struggle with this one. But she's so like, <laughs> she's so like patient and empathetic with her players and, knows how to motivate people and get a squad sort of like pulling all in the same direction, which, you know, I don't think people realise how hard that is. You know, you've got 20 different personalities or more 30 in these sort of WMPL squads between first grade, reserve grade, get everyone on the same page and pulling in the same direction and trying to keep people happy enough is, is tough. And, you know, I think what we've seen in the last two years is something that she worked hard to build over the you know preceding few years like build an environment that people want to be a part of and want to come you know that, that she recruited quite well as well like people want to come and play for that environment that she's sort of cultivated it's not quite the you know the all blacks mentality of like a no dickheads policy but like something along those lines the person's probably more important than the player and fitting into that environment and then she can coach them from there to employ a certain tactic so you know I'm a pretty proud sister watching her do her thing as a coach and you know I'm, I hope that we'll see how she goes in the final series I guess 
So, so she is actually a good coach. She wasn't just lurking and passing you the ball so you could score last season. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. The, the game tactic, pass it to Ash. No, actually, she can do something. I was I was bludging for most of last season, to be honest with you. I was the one relying on the rest of the team to do most of the work. <laughs> She's, have, she's having a, a she's called a goal herself as well. She's having a a great season. Unfortunately, she enjoyed herself when she scored. But um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to see her succeeding like this. And I'm uh, I'm quite curious about you know what the future holds. Um, she is a she is absolutely a young coach. Uh, so uh, so hopefully more success coming your way, starting with uh, with the finals uh, next week and uh, and the weekend that follows. Uh, Ash, I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, of course, you you said it, home and away. This season in uh, a league, finally a, f- a full season. Where are we going to see you, Ash? Are you going to be, uh, you know, with me and my family at Makela, uh supporting uh, Canberra? United? I did get my season ticket. Uh, or, uh, or are you going to be uh, doing your your being your punch itself? I think uh, no matter what, I'll always be supporting Canberra United. Uh, whether at every opportunity I can get to be on the sidelines of McKellar is pretty special. Hey, and it. Uh, I'm hoping that there'll be plenty more people joining us in the stands to watch them this year. But, you know, if an opportunity comes up to do punditry, I'll, I'll be doing that one as well. And we'll see what opportunities come come along. Um, yeah, with Paramount Plus or, or 10, you know, we'll see what happens. But otherwise, I'll be completely biased and commentating on uh, Canberra United games. <laughs> that one's going to be pretty hard as well. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Ash, thank you so much for your for your time today. Thanks for asking to come on uh, from Petrobol in, in the capital. It's great to have a, a former Malchida and somebody of your talent in our show. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. What a goal! Max Green with a stunner! Daniel Barac, he must score! He's going to score! Camera Croatia leads! Real chance at the far post of McCarthy! And they've got one back! It's unbelievable! What a finish! It's it! It's 1-1! Andre Carr from the bench! Mayhem in the Panthers' ranks!